This is Katrin with Disability Rights New York. Welcome to our podcast, Empire State of Rights, closed captioned. We are here to bring you information on the most relevant topics regarding disability rights and advocacy. Today, we will be discussing the differences of service animals and emotional support animals. Before we get started, we'd like to give a special shout out to our follower, Darlene, for requesting this podcast series on service animals. In this series, we will be discussing the legal role of service animals, legal protections, common myths and misconceptions, etiquette, and differences with emotional support animals. Make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube to follow our full series. We now welcome Christy Aspie, Pat, Patby, and Pava Director here at DRNY. She'll speak on the subject. Hi, Christy. How are you today? Hi, Katrin. I'm well, thank you. So there's been a lot of news about service animals, emotional support animals, where they can and can't be. And it seems like there's not a lot of good information that's going out to the public. So let's clear some of that up. It's a it's a big subject, but let's try and get through a little bit of it today. Sounds like a plan. So can you start by telling us the ADA definition of a service animal and the tasks that they perform? Yes, the term service animal comes with a definition. It's, a, it's in federal law. It's in the ADA. It's a dog or a miniature horse that has been individually trained to do work or perform tasks for an individual with a disability. And the dog or miniature horse is under the handler's control. And so those are the only two animals that fall under the legal definition of a service animal. That's exactly right. A dog or a miniature horse. It's quite rare to see a miniature horse being used as a service animal, but for people with mobility disabilities, the stability that a miniature horse offers is quite valuable. Okay. And can you now tell us about emotional support animals? How are they different and what tasks do they perform as opposed to service animals? An emotional support animal, sometimes it's referred to as an ESA, These are animals that provide emotional support to alleviate symptoms or effects of a person's disability. So it doesn't just have to be a dog or a miniature horse. It's expansive. It, It actually can be any animal. ESAs are generally not protected outside the context of housing or travel. And the parameters around an emotional support animal are that it provides comfort and support and it is... Uh, it's not out of control. And so I think that that's one of the big misunderstandings is that emotional support animals are not, in fact, covered under the ADA currently. Is that something that you think might happen? And if you don't want to speculate, that's fine, too. But as we move along and ESAs are becoming more common, do you think they will end up being a protected service soon? My guess is no. The law has not changed too much uh, around service animals. The ADA has been quite clear. There's some guidance from 2017 that has uh, answered directly specific questions that were being asked across the country. So the Department of Justice put out some answers for those questions. In my experience with this area of law, I have not seen the uh, the law expanded too much. I know that some local and state regulations and laws may cover additional animals, but we're just talking today about federal law. 
And so, of course, with any uh, service animal or emotional support animal, we have a handler involved. What are their responsibilities for their animals and for the public? The handler is generally the person that has a disability, although sometimes it can be an individual like an aide or a parent that is handling the service animal that is working on behalf of the individual who has a disability. The handler is responsible to make sure that the service animal is in control and the handler can command that the service animal perform certain tasks. The handler is also responsible for the service animal's toileting and feeding and uh, general care and, and medical treatment of the animal. And if this service animal is not under the handler's control, then the animal would fall outside the definition of a service animal. So that's a good point, Christy. Can you tell us what you mean by whether or not the service animal is in the handler's control? Yes. Part of the definition of a service animal is that the dog or the miniature horse is under the handler's control. That means that the dog will not cause a nuisance, it is housebroken, and it is not jumping or growling or barking or uh, sniffing around on the floor in an aggressive type of way, or it's not jumping up on people's laps. So when you're considering whether uh, an animal is a service animal, uh, for example, as a business owner, they may look to see the disposition of the animal itself. If the dog is causing some problems, then that business may have second thoughts about whether or not that dog is a service animal. And so that would bring me to another question. We had a an a couple of articles, I think it was two years ago, um, when the woman who was bringing her service animal into the Stonewall Bar in New York City was not allowed to bring the dog in. And the question came up as to whether or not the business owner can, in fact, ask what the dog was needed for. Can you talk a little bit about that? So a business owner can ask two questions, whether the animal is a service animal and what tasks it performs. Inherently, in that second question, the individual who uh, is receiving supports from the service animal has to explain what their disability is, uh, essentially because of the tasks that they have to explain the dog performs. The business owner cannot ask, what disability do you have? But in some cases, disclosure happens. It's the responsibility of the person with a disability to, to be prepared to answer these two questions. And then it's the responsibility of the business owner to respond appropriately. If the dog is under the handler's control and the presence of the dog is not causing some sort of problem like a disturbance or it is in the Stonewall's case, it's going to the bathroom in the bar or restaurant. And it's not bothering other people. It's and it's really keeping to the dog is keeping to its handler. Then there should be no other analysis from the business owner. And I should point out that uh, Stonewall's response was pretty great after the fact. After they understood what the law was and how they needed to respond, they in fact came to DRNY and had a, a great um, education program within the community, which is, of course, something that I think we should point out that DRNY is able to do. Um, so good job on Stonewall for following up in the way that they did. 
So moving on a little bit, Christy, we just talked about an instance with a service animal at a place of business. Can you also talk to us about the Air Carrier Access Act and the Fair Housing Act? How did these two laws figure in? For housing, uh, the Fair Housing Act is a federal law that protects a person from discrimination. So as it relates to animals, service animals are recognized under the Fair Housing Act in a similar way that the ADA recognizes them. The Fair Housing Act also recognizes emotional support animals and a person with a disability's right to an emotional support animal. Similar to the Fair Housing Act, the Air Carrier Access Act, which is the act that governs flights themselves, not the airports, that act recognizes service animals as well, similar to the Fair Housing Act. And it also recognizes uh, a flyer's need for an emotional support animal. However, there are some parameters that the airlines have in recognizing the, an individual's right to their emotional support animal. One of those is that you have to request that you be accompanied by your emotional support animal based on whatever the airline's policy says. The ACAA allows airlines to set their own policies regarding how they manage requests for animals to come on board with the flyer. When it comes to emotional support animals, I have seen it's commonplace to request at least, you know, a week in advance or a month in advance or whatever is reasonable that the flyer contact the airline and say, I'm bringing my emotional support animal. Uh, There's a difference if you're bringing your service animal. You actually don't have to alert them in advance. However, it's always advisable to contact airlines as soon as you know you're flying with your ESA or your service animal because you want to make sure that they have a lot of notice so that they can definitely accommodate your need with your animal. And that's a good point. I think bringing the information forward as early as possible is going to make a smoother transition, especially if you're flying. Um, And I think people often confuse the service animal and emotional support animals specifically on planes. And why is it important for the public to understand these differences, especially now, given the volume of people who are traveling and probably they're going to see them on the plane when they're flying? Listen, the ADA is coming up on its 30th anniversary Disability discrimination is still a problem. The ACAA is no exception to this problem. And I think it's a sheer lack of understanding and a lack of willingness to put the time and resources into educating and informing people not only of their rights, but people who are not receiving uh, an accommodation to understand that it's the person with a disability's right to be accommodated and there are certain accommodations that they have access to legally. And we're continuing to fight the good fight and what DRNY finds to be the most valuable way to fight this fight and um, is to provide education just like these podcasts. So if you're listening here, And you can educate your neighbor or your friend or a family member about uh, a flyer's right to their animal in a, you know, in a way that that will be well received, then I encourage you to do it because word of mouth is what is so important and crucial to ensure that people with disabilities do not continue to face serious issues of discrimination. And 
here we are, you know, finishing up this podcast. And I think you're right. We're talking about information and correct information and making sure that people have that. There's a lot of information that's being disseminated out there that is not correct. So, of course, listening to these podcasts, you will get the correct information. And this is a big topic. This is something that I think we see in the news more often than not. And uh, we're going to have another couple of podcasts on this subject. So, Christia, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about this part of our service animal series. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close out today? No, thanks, everyone, for listening. Empire State of Rights closed captioned has been brought to you by Disability Rights New York, your source for disability rights and advocacy. If you enjoyed our program, make sure to subscribe, like, and share this post. If there is a subject you would like us to discuss, please email podcast at drny.org or comment below. Tune in next Wednesday, where we'll bring you more information on disability rights in the state of New York. The closed caption version of this podcast is available on our YouTube channel. To listen to more Empire State of Rights closed captioned, follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.